chapter 11. Today we're studying verses 5 to 13. It's on page 1029. And if you have any kids here, between the ages of kindergarten and second grade, they are welcome to be dismissed to uh, Children's Church through the door over here by the piano. Luke chapter 11. It's on page 1029. They're totally clueless. They don't even know we're all laughing at them. It's great. Uh, All right, Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me! The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Well, today we come uh, to Luke chapter five verses, Luke chapter eleven verses five to thirteen. Uh, if you were here last Sunday, we studied the Lord's Prayer, which is in the first four verses, and uh, the Lord's Prayer. You know, you're very familiar with that, and uh, you've probably heard that. Even if you don't come to church very often, you probably know the Lord's Prayer or parts of it. Well, today we come in verses five to thirteen to what I think is the uh, central, most basic teaching of Jesus on the topic of prayer. Today's uh, text is the, it's the core doctrine on what we do when we talk to God that Jesus has to give us. Now maybe that sounds funny because maybe you're thinking, I thought the Lord's Prayer was the core teaching of Jesus on prayer. And I don't think it is. It's important, don't get me wrong, but you know the Lord's Prayer only occurs two times in the New Testament. Here in Luke and once in the Gospel of Matthew. But what we're going to study today is just everywhere in the New Testament, whenever, almost whenever the Bible teaches about the topic of prayer. It's so pervasive that it seems to be even more fundamental. So what is then this foundational, essential teaching on prayer in the New Testament? What is Jesus' most basic 
thing he wants to communicate to us about the nature of prayer. And I think it's summed up right there in verse 9. Ask. (laughs) That's it. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. That's the basic thing that you have to understand more than anything else that Christ wants us to understand about prayer. Just ask, and you will receive. More than anything else, Jesus wants us to seek him and to knock and to ask. In fact, uh, check this out. Take out your sermon notes, this little insert in your bulletin. And just look at this with me. It says Luke 11, 5 to 13. There's also the uh, weekly Bible study in there, which I encourage you to keep doing throughout the summer, even if you're not in a Bible study. That will be a Bible study pertaining to next week's uh, text. But Luke chapter 11, verses 5 to 13. It's at the top. And what I did here was I just tried to stuff in as many verses as I could fit where either Jesus or the New Testament teaches this same message. Ask and receive. Seek and find. That's the basic concept. Uh, I'm not going to read all of these texts, but look at the second one down uh, from the top on the, the front page where it says Matthew 21. I'll just give you some examples. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to the fig tree, but you can say to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Or look on the back, just a couple more examples. Uh, there at the top, John chapter 15. Jesus said, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, Or underneath it, uh, a little bit later, Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Or just one more. Look at the very last quote. This is from uh, later on in the New Testament, the epistle of John, 1 John chapter 5. He says, this is the confidence, confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And we know that he, if we know He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. And on and on we could go. There it is. Ask, receive. It's very simple. Now, I already know that there are objections rising in your minds. I can hear them. Just like I can hear water running in the next room in my house and I know the faucet's running or the toilet's running. I can hear the objections running in your mind from here. It's just like, whoa, whoa, da, 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 da. Anything? I mean, anything? So, like, if I just ask for a Dodge Viper or if I ask for a vacation home in Key West, I'm going to get it. Poof. Is it anything that I want? What about sinful things? What about evil things? Can I ask for anything? Are you saying this is some kind of like, you know, prosperity gospel, name it, claim it theology, that if you just have enough faith, you can get anything you want? Is prayer just kind of a blank check where we can write it out to whatever it is we want to purchase? Um, Are there no limits? Are there no guidelines? Are there no boundaries to this? And, you know, of course there's limits. I mean, of course, there's a context to this. I mean, look, it's right here in the text. I mean, you could, you've already heard it. Look again at those sermon notes. Look on the back page, uh, the top one, John 15. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, if that's the case, <laughs> ask whatever you want, and it will be given to you. Uh, so he's assuming that the person who's asking and receiving 
is walking in a close personal relationship with God. That part of asking and receiving means being in communion with God so that His heart is becoming our heart and His thoughts are becoming our thoughts. And so we're starting to ask according to His will, uh, which is exactly what He says at the bottom quote on 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, according to His will, He hears us. So, you know, of course there's boundaries. Of course, this is not just a blank check to get whatever you want, whatever our greedy hearts desire. The idea is that I'm walking in close fellowship with God on a regular basis. Like it says in Psalm chapter 37 in the Old Testament, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So yeah, God will give me the desires of my heart presuming that my heart is learning to delight in who God is. And so those two ideas go together. But you know what? I don't want to dwell on those things this morning because I don't think that's our problem. I don't think our basic problem is that we're asking and asking and seeking fervently and we have calluses on our knees because we're praying so much and it's just not happening and so we're just struggling with why isn't the answer coming. I don't think, well, maybe there's a few of you who are in this situation, but it's not me and I'd say probably not most of us. Probably most of us, our problem is we just don't pray. We don't ask. We just don't do it. And so I need Jesus to give me the basic invitation. Actually, it's not an invitation. It's a command. Hey, Jeremy, ask, seek, knock. You're not doing it. You're not asking me. The problem isn't that that I need to know the guardrails. The problem is that there's the road of prayer, which is asking, and I'm not even traveling down the road. And so forget about going over and thinking about the details of the guardrails. Just start seeking God and asking Him for whatever it is uh, that you may need. But, you know, we, we don't uh, seek Him. I, I don't ask Him. Unless, of course, I'm in dire circumstances. And then I'm a prayer warrior all of a sudden. Uh, when the dire circumstances come, you know, when, I'm, when you have an exam the next day that you studied for, kind of, uh, or you're on the verge of bankruptcy or on the edge of a divorce or you're going in for surgery the next day, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> then I'll pray. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with praying in those moments. There is something wrong with only praying in those moments, and I think that's the problem, is that that's the times I really find myself praying. Unfortunately, we too often come to prayer uh, the way an F-15 pilot treats his eject lever. (laughs) You only pull it when everything else is falling apart, and I've tried everything I can do, and now the plane is going down, there's nothing to do, so I grab that prayer thing and, and yank it, and you know, God is there, He's gracious, He hears those prayers, but He's calling us to a more regular seeking and asking of Him. Um, and there's the command. Ask. You know, I'll ask a policeman for directions. I'll go to a town meeting and ask that my viewpoint be heard. Uh, you'll ask your parents for a cell phone. But for some reason, I won't ask God for the things I need regularly and faithfully in a believing way. Um, seek. He tells us to seek. We'll go on the Internet and we'll seek I don't know, a recipe or a vacation getaway and we'll Google and surf the net for hours seeking this information. We'll go to the mall for hours seeking bargains and seeking deals. But I won't, with the same tenacity and committedness, seek God for the things that I need. Uh, He tells us to knock. You know, I'll send my kids out knocking on doors. They'll have a little box of candy bars and they'll knock on doors saying... Hi, I'm trying to raise money for the library at school. Will you please buy 
you know, this wicked overpriced candy bar and, uh, you know, fund my school's library. And, and we'll send our kids out at Halloween and they'll knock on doors. Uh, you'll knock on your boss's door if something's wrong and you want to say something or you need a raise. But, but I won't knock on God's door. As a Christian, my loving Father, I won't knock on the gates of heaven unless it's really, really bad. And then it's like, well, why did you wait so long, Jeremy? And so there's the command. Ask, seek, knock. And yes, there are limits to it, but I don't think that's my problem. I think the problem is I just don't pray. And really, the reason I don't pray is I think I have a deficient understanding of who God is. I have too small a vision of God. Uh, and so as a result, I come to prayer the same way I come to the treadmill at the gym. <laughs> it's something I know I should do, but I really don't want to do it, and so I look for excuses not to. I know it's good for me, so I probably should. That, that's not my attitude in prayer. My attitude in prayer should be coming to God because He's my Father, and He loves me, and I love Him. And so what Jesus does in the rest of the text, in verses 5 to 13, you'll notice before the basic command to ask, seek, and knock, there's a little story then after the command to ask, seek, and knock, there's a little story. So the whole text is hamburger-shaped. You see that? The, the middle is the meat, verses 9 and 10. Ask and receive. Seek, find, knock, and the door will be opened. And then on either side of it is a bun. And the two buns are um, stories that illustrate God's desire to answer our prayers so that we'll be inspired and motivated to seek and ask. Because Jesus knows that we struggle with seeking and asking he knows that at our deepest levels we, we struggle with unbelief. So he wants to tell us a couple stories to get us excited about seeking and asking, to change our approach to prayer. So let's look at the top bun of the hamburger. Here we go. Verses 5 uh, to 8. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Now that seems kind of funny to us. I mean, when's the last time you went to anyone's house at midnight asking for three loaves of bread? You know, we read stories like this in the Bible and we're like, I just don't get it. You know, what's this all about? And this is one of those places where it helps to think of the historical background. Um, You know, remember in those days, suppose someone did travel to your house from a far off town. How would you know they were coming? Cell phone? Email? I mean, how would you know? (laughs) You wouldn't know until, you know, they knock on your door and, oh, we didn't tell you, we're coming through town and, you know, then this happened and our camel broke down and now it's late and, uh, you know, sorry, we got it. And so you have to deal with it right then. Uh, The other thing to remember about ancient uh, culture is that hospitality was, you know, a cardinal, one of the highest virtues. Today, one of our highest virtues is privacy. (laughs) Their highest virtue was hospitality. And so if someone knocked on your door and you didn't just totally lay out the banquet in front of them, lay out food for them, I mean, you were a total heel. You were lower than low. It was disgraceful to have someone knock at your door and you not welcome them in and put food in front of them. So it was a different culture. And, of course, they didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have 24-hour stopping shops. You couldn't go to Taco Bell at midnight. So if you know, you've eaten your food for the day, which you probably made that morning, and you made your bread that morning and you ate it, you know, what are you going to do if someone knocks on your door at midnight and you're, it's now incumbent upon you to be a good host? So this is a very plausible first century situation. It wouldn't happen today, but back then, this is very likely to happen. This totally believable. You know, it, it happened to somebody I know kind of a thing. And so uh, he goes and he knocks on the door of his friend. He's like, 
dude, there's someone here and it's midnight and I've got to have some bread and I'm out of bread. You know, what can you do for me? And I love how the friend answers verse 7. The one inside says, don't bother me. Apparently this guy's about as spiritual as I am at midnight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The door is already locked and my children are in bed with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Now, again, think of the house here. This is not our modern-day suburban McMansions, okay? We're talking one-room peasant house, all right? This is a very simple house, just big enough to do whatever you need to do indoors there. And at night, everyone doesn't go off to their separate bedrooms. They just roll a mat out on the floor, and everyone piles in. It's like when you go on those family vacations, and there's just one room, and everybody's sleeping together in the room, and you're like... You know, it's, it's 10 at night and one of the kids is like, Daddy, and you're like, shh, the babies are sleeping. What are you thinking? You know, and then the kids are like, ah, and you're like, ah. And, you know, it's mayhem. You're just trying to keep everybody quiet because you know that no matter how little sleep the kids get, they're up at five. <laughs> and you're exhausted. So you're just trying to get everybody quiet. So, you know, you get to see this guy. He's like, he's got the kids asleep. They're all around him. And this knock on the door. And he's like, don't bother me. The kids are in bed. Because if he gets up to get bread or make bread for this guy or whatever, it's going to wake up the whole house. It's going to ruin his whole next day. And if he's in a town and he's living around other people, you know, it's going to wake up the neighborhood. So this is a very awkward, extreme kind of situation. But notice Jesus' conclusion in verse 8. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. He's still going to get the bread. Just to make the guy go away. If nothing else, he's going to get the bread. So here's the point. I think this is the implied point. If you can ask and receive in that extreme situation, how much more so can you come to God, your loving Father, and ask Him for what you need? So there's this contrast. If even in that situation, somebody's going to give. You know, there's power in asking. I think that's kind of the idea here. You can ask and receive. Uh, You know, if there wasn't power in asking, then telemarketing wouldn't work. But it works. I mean, why do they keep doing it? Because it works. Because eventually, there's, there's panhandling works. I mean, that's the thing. If you stand there with a cup, you know, and say, hey, can you spare some change? Enough people walking by are going to spare change that there's a reason somebody can stand there every day and and panhandle, because there's power in asking. And so, you know, this is kind of extreme situation. Jesus is saying, if that guy at midnight with his kids in bed is going to get up and give him his bread, then we need to be asking God more confidently. And so he draws the conclusion in verse 9, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Or as St. Augustine said, If a man awakened from sleep is forced to give unwillingly in answer to a request. God, who does not know sleep and who wakes us from sleep so that we can ask, God gives much more graciously. I love that. Let me read that one more time. If a man awakened from sleep is forced to give unwillingly in answer to a request, God, who does not know sleep and who wakes us from sleep so that we may ask, God gives much more graciously. The thing I like about this first Bun, the first story here, is that it kind of um, uh, de-spiritualizes prayer. I don't know if that sounds right. It demystifies prayer. I think sometimes one of the reasons we don't pray is we feel like praying is for really spiritual people. 
You know, it's for like nuns and pastors and priests and, you know, mystics who go in caves and they pray all day and they're, you know, half crazy because they're starved from fasting all the time. You know, those people are the ones who pray. But, you know, I'm just a building contractor. I'm just a 15-year-old kid. I mean, you know, I can't pray. That's for really spiritual types. And the thing I love about this story is it just breaks prayer down to such a basic level. Like, you know, ask. Knock on the door and ask. And it's like, I can do that. Um, I like what Charles Spurgeon, the great 19th century um, British Baptist preacher, he, he said this about prayer. He says, when I pray, I like to go to God just as I go to a bank clerk when I have a check to be cashed. I walk in, put the check down on the counter, and the clerk gives me the money. I take it up and I go about my business. I don't know that I ever stopped in a bank five minutes to talk with the clerks. When I have received my change, I go away and attend to other matters. That is how I like to pray. But there is a way of praying that seems like lounging near the mercy seat of God as though one had no particular reason for being found there. Now, you know, that's obviously a little extreme. He's speaking hyperbolically. He's not just saying that God's just a banker to give us whatever we want. But, but his point is, he's trying to, to, I think, stress this text. We need to come to God and expect that, that He will give when we ask according to His will and in harmony with His person. <clears throat> and so that's the first illustration is this guy waking up at midnight giving. And the point is, if this guy will give, God will give, so ask. But then he tells us one more illustration. So this is the bottom bun of the hamburger. And it's in verses 11 to 13. And here he zeroes in on the idea of God is our Father, which we looked at last Sunday, if you'll remember. The fatherhood of God. And the basic idea here again is, if fathers will give, then how much more will the Heavenly Father give? Look at verse 11. He says, Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. You know, last Sunday I was telling you about my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter. This Sunday I was thinking of my two-year-old son. He just turned two a couple months ago, and he's really starting to talk now. I mean, he always knew words, but now he's like really putting ideas and sentences together. And so he can communicate what he's thinking. He's much happier because he can express himself now, and he's not frustrated and, uh, and now he'll come to me, and he loves orange juice. So he'll come to me, and, you know, little toe head, blue eyes, chubby little face. He'll say, Daddy, can I have orange juice, please? Can I have orange juice, please? And, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> am I going to go to the garage and open up some motor oil? Put it in a glass and put it in front of him? Like, here you go, your orange juice. You know, of course not. I, I'm going to give him one. Heck, I'm going to open up the jug, just take off the lid and put the jug in front of him. Because I, you know, I love to see him get what, what he wants. He wants orange juice, he can have orange juice. If he was smart, he would say, can I have chocolate cake? Because <laughs> I'd probably just give it to him. You know, if my wife was not in the house, our house would be a nutritional disaster. I'm telling you. <laughs> I would just give them whatever they want. Chocolate cake would work just fine. So, alright, so verse 13. Okay, Jeremy. All right, Jeremy, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I mean, we need to approach God as our loving Heavenly Father. And I think that's one of the reasons I don't pray 
is again, I think of prayer the same way I think of doing time on the treadmill. It's probably good for me, but boy, is it a pain. And I need to think of prayer as coming into the presence of my Father in heaven who wants to hear from me and come into His presence with the joy that a little child does. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He washed my sins away. There's victory in Jesus. But you know, Jesus dying for me was just part of my salvation. Another key part of salvation is the fact that God has adopted me into His family. So now I am a child of God being adopted through the blood of Jesus. So I should come to God as I come to a father knowing that he loves me. And I think one of the reasons we don't pray is that when we get down to it, we're functionally atheists. You know, we, we claim to be Christians and we believe Christianity, but when it comes to how we function, we function as if there is no supernatural. And I go through life as if it's really up to me and my wits and my intelligence and my money and my physical strength and my ability to figure out situations. And I don't think of my Heavenly Father as real. And so Jesus is like, He's like your Father. Just ask Him. I mentioned Spurgeon before. Uh, I want to tell you another story about Spurgeon. Uh, Spurgeon was, uh, he struggled with gout. I don't know if you know gout. It's like a really sort of bad form of arthritis and uh, very debilitating and can be very... Uh, extremely painful in its advanced stages. And anyway, uh, Spurgeon had gout. He had his whole life, uh, especially his, his older years. Um, I should say his whole life, but for much of his ministry. And uh, in fact, it would keep him out of the pulpit very often in, in his later years because he would just be so racked with pain and stiff that he couldn't even get into the pulpit to preach. But anyway, there was one time in 1871 when Spurgeon was having the most acute attack of gout that he'd ever experienced. And he was laying in bed. He was so racked with pain that according to his account, he couldn't even, uh, couldn't even talk. All he could do was lay there and he said, cry out. So he was just laying there moaning because he was in such torturous pain from this, this extreme kind of arthritis. So he told everyone to get out of the room. He kicked everybody out. And then there in his room, he prayed. And this prayer is so beautiful. He wrote down his prayer for us. He says, all I could say to God was this. Thou art my Father, and I am Thy child. And Thou as a Father art tender and full of mercy. I could not bear to see my child suffer as Thou makest me suffer. And if I saw him tormented as I am now, I would do what I could to help him and put my arms under him to sustain him. Wilt Thou hide Thy face from me, my Father? Wilt thou still lay a heavy hand and not give me a smile from thy countenance? And then he laid there quietly for a while and then he told everyone to come back in and he confidently told the people around him, my pain has gone away and I know it will not come back like that again because God has heard my prayer. And it never did. I think that kind of coming to God boldly as a child is the kind of praying that Jesus wants from us. And the more I see God as my loving Father, the more prayer will go from becoming a painful duty and discipline to a joyous, natural, 24-7 overflowing of my heart toward God. And not only will God give us gifts, but I would be remiss if I didn't talk about this just a little bit, that last sentence. God wants to give us the greatest possible gift which is the Holy Spirit. Look at the end of verse 13. How much more will your Father in Heaven give 
the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. I think as I was thinking about this text all week, that last sentence was the one that has been ringing in my ears more than any other. To think that God would give us the Holy Spirit. That God, He's basically promising. That's how I read it. Maybe you read it differently. I, I see this as almost a promise. If you ask for the Holy Spirit, you will receive the Holy Spirit. That God wants to give more and more uh, of His blessing through the Holy Spirit into your life. You just have to ask for it. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, you know, and the Holy Spirit, well, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have everything. You don't lack anything. The Holy Spirit is God's presence and His power in our lives. Uh, you know, without the Holy Spirit, the Christian life comes to a screeching halt. And without the Holy Spirit, there is no Christian life. This is nothing. <laughs> it's not Christianity. That's the, one of the defining marks of being a Christian is that you have the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, you're not a Christian. Uh, it's the Spirit who makes us Christians. You know, it's the Holy Spirit who opened up my eyes so that I could see that I was a sinner in need of salvation. It was the Holy Spirit who showed me my need of Christ. And it was the Holy Spirit who changed my heart so that I could even believe in Christ. Because my heart is so stubborn and opposite the other direction. Jesus was right when He called me evil. Because that's how I am. I want to do it my way. And I don't want to do it God's way. But the Spirit convicted me of that. And the Spirit showed me that Jesus died for me. It's through the Holy Spirit that uh, I can stand firm against sin in my life. The Holy Spirit is the one who changes my character. So if there's anything you see in me that's godly, it's because the Spirit has been working overtime to renovate me. Uh, it's the Holy Spirit who helps me understand the Bible. This book just makes no sense to me until the Holy Spirit opens my eyes. And, and so I, need, I pray for the Holy Spirit when I prepare sermons because so many times I look at the text and I'm like, I just don't get it. And I pray and then the Holy Spirit helps me to understand it. Uh, the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers me for evangelism. Instead of being a, a reserved, introverted, quiet New Englander, the Holy Spirit enables me to speak my faith to others. Uh, the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual gifts. The only reason I can preach effectively is because the Spirit helps me. If you've been blessed in any way by my preaching, it's because the Holy Spirit was given me an assist along the way. Uh, the Holy Spirit's who unifies us as a church. And the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray. I mean, it's everything. <laughs> if you have the Holy Spirit, you got it all. The whole ball of wax. And Jesus is saying, pray for more of the Spirit. Ask confidently for the Spirit. Seek tenaciously for more of God's Spirit to work in your life and to show you Christ and to change you. Uh, knock tirelessly and expectantly until the gates of heaven open up and the Holy Spirit is poured out in your life and poured out in your family and poured out in your neighborhood and your office and the South Shore of Boston and our church and all over New England. We need to keep asking for the Spirit to be poured out. You know, I was thinking, what would it be like if for the month of July our church made a resolution that every day each of us would pray for the Holy Spirit? I mean, he says he'll give it to us. We have the Spirit, but I mean a greater outpouring and greater working of the Spirit. What would happen if all of us just said, okay, for the month of July, we're gonna, every day I'm going to pray for the Spirit to be more poured out in our lives? I don't know. Let's try it and see. What do you say? Praying for the Spirit's power. And let me just conclude by extending the same challenge to anyone here who wouldn't uh, perhaps self 
identify as a Christian. Maybe that's not where you're at yet, and hey, I respect that. Um, you know, you, you're here, someone brought you here, a friend brought you here, a spouse, your mom and dad made you come. You know, and that's cool, I'm glad you're here. Uh, but you know, you're like, I'm just not there yet. And, and there's just, it's interesting, because you're here, you're watching all these Christians worship, you're listening to this, and you're like, you know, I have nothing against that Jesus guy, but I don't quite understand why these people seem to like worship him. I mean, it's like all about Jesus. Like, okay, enough already. In the Bible, I mean, I'm sure it's a good book, but I just don't get what these people are getting out of it. And, you know, there just seems to be something that they see that I don't see, and I don't understand what it is that they're all so gung-ho about. Um, And I don't want to be insulting, but can I just say there's a reason that that's your experience? It's because you don't have the Holy Spirit yet. And I don't say that in any kind of condescending, snooty, preachy, self-righteous, churchy kind of way. I just say that as a guy who didn't used to have the Holy Spirit either. And I didn't get it. And I, what are these people talking? This is crazy. <laughs> Woo, you know, Jesus, yeah, whatever, you know. <laughs> okay. And then the Holy Spirit started working on me. Like, what's going on? <laughs> Something's happening to me. And, it, you know, and God showed himself to me. I don't know where to put it. It's not because I'm smarter than anyone or better than anyone. It's because God is a loving Father. And people were praying for me, especially my mom. And it's through that that God revealed himself to me through the Holy Spirit. And now I have the Holy Spirit. And it's not because I'm better than anyone. It's just like, it's a miracle. It's grace through to through. And so I would encourage you to pray for the Holy Spirit. If you feel like you just don't get it and you don't know why other people do, then just ask for the Spirit. And I suspect God will answer. Come to Him and say, Lord, you know, I don't understand. I know that I need to understand. There's something in me that's telling me that, which is probably the Holy Spirit. And so, open my eyes. Change my life. If you are God, then speak to me through your power. And then watch out. Let's pray. Oh Lord, forgive me for being such a prayerless pastor. Forgive our church for being a prayerless church. Forgive us, Lord, for calling ourselves Christians but living as if we were atheists. Forgive us, Lord, that we do not seek, that we do not knock, that we do not ask. Because in doing that, we are, through our actions, denying Your reality as a loving Father. And so we pray, Lord, that we would glorify You by asking that by asking, we would be saying that we believe that you are who you say you are. Lord, help us to ask confidently. Help us to ask in harmony with your will so that we might walk with you and ask according to your will. Lord, we ask now for the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would pour out the Holy Spirit on us with greater power, that uh, the Spirit's operations might be more and more tangibly visible to us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is struggling against sin, who is struggling with doubt, who is struggling with worry. Lord, anyone here who's a Christian who is beaten down and frustrated, I pray, Lord, give them the Holy Spirit in greater measure. Lord, I pray for anyone here who is kind of checking out the Christianity thing, but they just aren't sure about it and they don't see what others are seeing. Lord, give them the Holy Spirit, I pray. Give me the Holy Spirit because unless you continue to sustain me, I know I'm going to just collapse flat on my face 
as a total failure. And so I need your grace moment by moment. And so, Lord, keep empowering the whole church. And now, Lord, as we come to the communion table, we pray that you would meet us here in a special way, that you would minister to us. We thank you for the gift of Jesus on the cross. We know that it is through Jesus alone that our sins are forgiven and that we could enter into this wonderful father-child relationship with you. And so, Lord, meet with us now. Jesus, you are the host. We are your guests. Would you serve us now at your table? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.